welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Okie dokie, artichokey. What is up, everybody? I am your host, Mr. Chris Sinclair, and joined by my co-host, uh, this Fulio Drew Garrison. Hey, guy. How you doing this evening, today, this beautiful week, in this godforsaken heat? I'm doing really good. I'm so proud of you right now because we were li- we were just saying how we were concerned about break. your lethargic you attitude. Um, just well, and I think that you know the thing for our listeners is that you know you are in the beast belly right now, right? The belly of the beast. I guess that's how the right saying actually goes. But you have you're now a little over a week into the opening of yes. your restaurant, right? You are still raising um, I, one of the most beautiful children like of all time so, yeah. in Little Carmela. Yeah, and then you have this like you know bottle shop that just kind of is there <laughs> Thanks for still, that. <laughs> and you're just you're just doing all these things all right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so the fact that you're still standing, you're kind of like you know what I need to do. I need to spend an hour to two hours talking online with a buddy. And then a guest yeah. for free. Like, that's what I need to do no, right no. now. I, Sleep? I'll pass no. out probably no. halfway through this. Planning, it's planning my future? Not today. Well, I mean, I think that when we're going to see how it goes, like I've, I mean, I've been, I've been drinking since, since one o'clock today and it's nine eight. And I'm, I'm officially, so, um, I'm officially on the wagon that's a, today. That's a solid day of work. I'm, uh, I'm going like, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going so, okay. to go end of next month until my wife's birthday. Okay. So. So the so let's let's get figure this out because this this was a popular topic on Seinfeld. Correct. On the wagon, if you is not tumble drinking. off the wagon, it's because you are drinking. Yes, it is okay because that's that's a popular now. Now, what's funny about that is that I was on the wagon until for until my weeks, soft opening and then of the restaurant. Well, I did, but no, no, no. That was like that was like a minor <laughs> oh, hiccup, yeah. and then I was I was back on the wagon. That was like that was like I almost fell off, and then I went back on. And then um, between all of my events, so I had Saturday night mezcal tasting, Sunday night agave harvest party, and then Monday work, I guess, where I was, wasn't planning on drinking, but that's what happened. But it, it is what it is. So I went from like nothing for weeks into um, what some might consider a bender. But we wouldn't. Uh, even though it was. Well, we would. We would, just, we would just say like, hey, it sounds see? like Tuesday. Exactly. <laughs> <It's Tuesday. laughs> um well so you know so both of us are going to be you know potentially not clicking on all cylinders but that's why tonight we brought in a hitter for us this person has been moving and shaking in the bar industry for for far too been, long he hasn't been shaking um, in a he while. is on a uh, quest I'm just, gonna say that. just moving oh he hasn't <laughs> been shaking for a while um but he's but he's he's definitely been flashing smiles and and dropping cases on people for for a bit. Um, he is on a quest of that's, vengeance, uh, that's what we're I believe, of writing yeah. uh, of writing wrongs and clearing names. Our guest tonight is the brand development manager for 
what was it? Hodling? Is that so, what we decided, well, we decided to call it? It's the name Hodling? of the brand. Hodling. Uh, brand? Oh, it's the name of the company? Oh, that's yeah. fine. Our guest tonight, Mr. Stephen Barry. Stephen, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Please let us know how Jen Chen has wronged you. Oh, that's unfair. Yeah. That's unfortunate. All right. So you guys can hear me okay, correct? Yes. Right. Yeah, let it go. Okay, let it so, fly. All right. So <laughs> first and foremost, you two dirt merchants are just scraping the absolute bottom of the barrel by having me on your podcast. I can't imagine anybody yep. going to their, their speaker uh, just waiting for me to speak uh, in my riveting conversation. But I am actually here to right wrongs. Okay. Uh, I am here to rebuttal Jenshin or Jenshen, as we know her, yeah. uh, and her false claims about her photoshopped picture that she posted of me wait, at Tales wait, of the Wait a minute, you're now we're claiming it's photoshopped? I, <laughs> I, uh, let's, let's call it an alleged wait a minute. photo, okay? Alleged. I don't even, I don't even, this is, that was the I first time I ever even heard photo. of such a photo. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. I took well, the photo. Took the photo. I well, okay. Let's take let's take a quick pause here. So, just for anybody who hasn't who, who's not completely aware of what's going on right now, uh, Gentian, who is a guest like on our you, podcast, everybody a few keeps weeks calling ago, her Gentian now. Look for you know for, tonic. Well, she well, I mean, it was it's it's, just, it's how she says her name. She was and in the email, explicitly, it was like I'm not a fucking panda. So. Um, you know, that was, that's something to point well, out. I think we need fluffy. to be respectful of that. Got claws so she, uh, obviously she created, <laughs> no, she's not. No, she's not. So she, she has this picture of our guest tonight, Mr. Barry, um, who the way that the story goes was trying to find you guys during tales of the cocktail, which is a big bartenders event that happens in new Orleans every year. Um, and at one point he had just, given up on trying to find you guys and then sat down on a random corner and was just like, you guys can come to me. I'm done looking for you. And then to which they arrived upon the soulless. body of Mr. Stephen Barry and took a picture. Yeah. The soulless upset. Like, I mean, everybody's been there, right? Like you've been in that moment where you're kind of like, I don't know where the hell you are. You're giving me street names that I'm completely Listen. unfamiliar with. I'm okay. sitting down and then this is it. This is who I am. You know? Okay. So I was, drunk enough at a point to where I, I couldn't recognize, I, I was able to stand up and I could move and I could talk, but I could not read the street signs. Like everything <laughs> was just a complete blur. So yeah. like Chris Sinclair and Chris Dooley, uh, trying to tell me where to go, uh, and navigate me which I think it was wasn't like even that. It was around literally the around the corner. Uh, and you had I, been going around that same block for an hour. You'd literally been walking in a circle. And our version of yeah. trying to tell you was we had yeah, dropped a pin past. in Google Maps and said, walk to the pin. And you couldn't even do that. Yeah, but yeah, what was this? This was, this was what? This was like 20, what, what year was this? 2015? 2015? The, the, the pin was, a new, was new technology at that point. Okay. I want you to know. Like I, I, that was the first time anyone had ever sent me a pin. Okay, I yeah. didn't know what that was. 
Uh, and it's also, so, I think it's also fair to say that like, you know, dropping pins on Google maps is actually not as helpful as, as it should be. Like if you like, if you could drop a pin on my Waze app, then, then we're talking, you know? Also, you assumed I could actually just read my phone, like read the letters that were on it. I could literally You've been texting proli- proficiently for about an hour it. so. Okay. Well, that, that was probably, okay. All right. Well, so, so now, so now Steven, you're here. We're okay. going to, we're going to give people a different perception of this man who right, has just right, been right. plaguing our social media for the past couple of weeks. And then Chris's new bar um, <laughs> with pictures of, of said all, photo. It is all over my um, bar. It's but I think it's all over my bar. Yeah, it is all over your bar. Um, but I, but I think it, it's important to talk about, you know, what you're doing now and how you made the transition from bartender to a brand developing manager in Northern California. So why don't you walk through us, like you know, walk us through that, you know, what it was like making that transition, how you made that transition, because the reality is, is that we do have a lot of bartenders that listen to this podcast. And then I do know that I get that question a lot. Like, well, how do I do what you do? And it's like, well, I had a different path, but you have the path that a lot of them tend to be on. So what was that like for you? Well, I, you know, I gotta be honest with you. I, I kind of forced got my way into it. Uh, in all actuality, I, I, uh, I was, uh, I should start with the, I was, a, I was behind the bar for roughly give or take 15 to 17 years. Um, you know, I did take a, like a small break for like a, a year and a half, uh, from the industry. Uh, but then ended up coming back in. I, uh, I was working at Ella dining room bar here in downtown SAC, uh, which is a fantastic bar, great restaurant, great food, good spot. Um, I, uh, I got a call, you know, and someone had just kind of recommended me, uh, for the job, uh, and, uh, and said, Hey, I think you'd be a great fit for this. Uh, and, and I put my name in the hat and I just kind of got lucky, but I, you know, I think now a lot of these brand gigs, I know, uh, holding, you know, they look for, uh, a college degree. I don't have a college degree. I went to a graphic arts school in, um, Tempe, Arizona for like a year and a half. And, you know, I got some Photoshop skills and some photography skills out of it, but that's about it. Um, and I just got really lucky. I think, uh, I think the, the guy who was the uh, district manager for Hodling at the time, uh, for the West coast, he just, you know, we interviewed and I, I always kind of liken it to, um, like Slumdog Millionaire where like all my previous like life, uh, experiences kind of led up to my interview and it all was kind of perfect because I, I, uh, I got my first restaurant gig down in Southern California. I was working at a claim jumper um, and uh, uh, migrated up to uh, Reading and uh, worked at this little 13 table bistro in Reading uh, called Moonstone Bistro. Uh, worked there for a couple of years, uh, met my wife. We migrated to Chico and I worked in Chico for five years in this place called Johnny's in the Hotel Diamond. Um, at that point, I really didn't know anything about like, you know, I, I was all store and poor bartending. You know what I mean? It was like that Olive Garden Landry style bartending. Um, there was nothing real craft cocktail about any of it. Um, and uh, it's kind of a longer story, but the bar that I'd kind of gotten hired in, the, the owner had installed these, uh, they're smoke detectors, but they look, they're, they're cameras that look like smoke detectors. Uh, and he basically caught everybody stealing except for me. Uh, and basically fired like the majority of the staff. And he was like, 
you're the bar manager now. And I was like, okay, great. And, uh, and so he was like, uh, you need to hire some people because we don't have any other employees now. And I was like, great. So I had this stack of resumes and, uh, on the top of the, the stack was, uh, this resume that I, I was like, this is so fake. It was this girl, Dominique Gonzalez, who's, uh, I know a good friend of Chris and Claire, um, Drew, I don't know if you've ever met her, but she's an absolute lady boss. Her, her, res- her resume, uh, it, I thought it was fake. Uh, you know, it was like 2006 Sacramento bartender of the year, uh, lead bartender, shady lady, you know, first place bartending contest here, first place bartending contest here, first place, you know, it was just nonstop, like just a stacked resume. And I was like, this is BS. I can't wait to call this girl out. I'm just going to bring her in in this interview just to, to call her out. So I brought her in an interview and in three minutes, I was like, you are so much smarter than me. You're hired show me the way. And she basically came on at this place, the Johnny's in the hotel diamond. And she showed me the world of craft cocktails. I didn't know anything about it at the time. She, you know, I remember her, she made me a Jameson and a giant peach and I, my head almost exploded. You know, I was like, this is insane. Uh, and this was in 2008, I think right around there, 2009, maybe somewhere in there. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it was kind of on from there. And then I, I we worked, me and Dom worked together for like, maybe a little over two years. Um, and, uh, Ashley and I, my wife and I, we decided to move to Sacramento and I was like, Dom, where should I go? And she's like, I think you would be a great fit for the Ella crew. I'll put in a good, you know, good word for you. And I got a gig gig there. I came on with Chris Dooley and I, you know, my, the, the most fun bar crew I've ever worked with was, was, you know, the, the early day Ella crew, uh, not to put anyone else down. I've had a blast with all different, you know, crews that I've worked with, but it was really fun. It was Dave Siva, you know, it was Justin Miller, it was Chris Dooley, it was Ray Kelly. And, you know, it, for me, it was like the zenith of like, you know, my kind of bartending career. I learned so much at Ella. I mean, like, I liken my time with Dom as like, you know, my bachelor's degree and my time at Ella was like my master's and my doctorate, you know, um, the, the depth in wine and the depth in spirits and stuff like that, uh, that I got out of it was just unreal. Um, and I, w- I'd actually got my intro song pin, um, and I was working towards getting my certified. Um, I've let too much time lapse now at this point, but, uh, basically, um, I was at, I was at Ella for about four years, learned a ton, uh, and then, um, uh, went to crew was the opening bar manager for crew. I was there for about a year. Um, and, uh, decided it wasn't the best fit for me, not for any bad reasons. Um, absolutely love Billy. Uh, and that restaurant is unreal. It's a great spot. Just at the time, it wasn't the, the right fit for me. And then I ended up going back to Ella. I was at Ella for maybe like a year and a half. And uh, the job with Hodling opened up. And, you know, it was, it, it was funny because, you know, the territory that I, that I was going to be taking over with Hodling was – Chico, Redding, you know, Red Bluff, Sacramento. Obviously, I didn't have a ton of experience when you go south because my, my territory is giant. It's basically from Vacaville to, um, to Tahoe and then Bakersfield to the Oregon border. Um, but like it, the experience I had and the people that I know in all those different cities that I worked, you know, was basically like the core inside of my territory. Um, and so, like I said, it was like Slumdog Millionaire. I just all my life experiences fit perfectly into it. And I think. The district manager at the time was like, uh, you know, 
let's take a chance on it and see how it goes. And I feel like it's been pretty darn successful. You know, I've had a really great relationship and a great run with Hodling. They're a terrific company. I've been with them for five years. So that was a really long winded uh, it's been, it's been, story. It's been five years already. <laughs> no, that's what we're, that's what we're here for. Damn. Yeah. We're old. Yeah. So, um, been a long time. Yeah. Uh, maybe <laughs> four. I don't know. No, so yeah, I, I remember, like, no, cause you, you got into it after I got on with JVS. So it's like, cause I'm, I'm about to hit five in December. So, okay, so I like do, I'm, I'm four and a half, I think somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, it wasn't that far behind. So, yeah. um, you know, again, like talking about like, we have a lot of people in this industry that, that want to make this transition and whatnot. Like what, what do you think is, cause I, cause I know that we've had a lot of really fun conversations cause there was a while there where I felt like we were the only two people working the market. Cause we would just <laughs> run into each other all the time. Absolutely. And you were the only person I ever ran into. I'd never ran into anybody else, you know, because like we were actually hustling, right? Right. And um, but like, what do you think was like some of the biggest learning curves from you going? Because I mean, because in like you have these relationships and you have this, you know, this Slumdog Millionaire history with these different locations. But like, what were some of the tougher things that you had overcome that maybe you didn't consider when you originally took the job? The, the number one thing I, I can tell people, you know, if you're in this position, like you could be the best bartender in the world. Um, but if you can't sell people on the product, you know, if you can't hype the product, um, you know, in the end of the day, you're there to sell, you know what I mean? And it's really not any different than like being at the bar and, you know, you know, talking about, you know, I, you know, we can make this cocktail with, you know, X, Y, Z, but I can make it old fashioned and it can be, you know, the well bourbon, but, you know, try it with this four roses, you know, single barrel that I've got, and it's a little bit hotter. I think it makes a great old fashioned, so on and so forth. Um, you know, you're upselling and, and you're selling all night as a bartender. You might as well do it, you know, uh, on a larger scale with spirits. You know, you, if you're, if you're going to go to this side, basically what I'm trying to say is you, you got to be a closer. You got to, you, you got to actually go and sell. And the biggest thing is you just got to be in the market. Like, you know, it's weird because I've actually gone, I found that if you just are there and I think why you and I bump into each other so often is like, you know, there might be times when I'm just going out and like, if you're, if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. Right. Uh, yeah. If you're not in the market, no one knows you exist. You know I mean? If you're not, you know, showing your face, um, you're not going to sell anything, but at the end of the day, you got to ask for the sale at the end. That's, that's an important thing. I think you can be the most talented bartender ever. If you don't do that, you're not, you know, it's not, it's not going to work out for you. Um, I don't know. That seems kind of weird. Uh, no, no, I think, I think, I think that's it. Or boiler room, but, uh, but yeah, so I think, <laughs> I think, uh, I, I think that really you just got to, you, you got to leave your house, man. Like, I feel like there's so many reps out there that just don't leave their house. And, and it, it kind of gives a lot of, I think, suppliers a bad name. I know with, you know, when you're talking to distributors and stuff like that, um, it just can be one of those things where like, how do you expect to make sales if you're not leaving your house? You know, yeah, so. I remember. I remember early on in my career, I had a I had a mentor of mine, and his name was his name was Tony Lavin, and it was with Diageo. Oh. I mean, it's still one of the one of the people that anytime I run into him or anytime that I have the opportunity to talk with him, like I feel like truly kind of like I'm at like the I'm sitting in the classroom of like the most intelligent person of all time, right? But like the one lesson that always sits with me, and and I think we can all relate to this, is like 
you'll be sitting there and be like, hey, there's going to be times when you're going to be tired. It's going to be a long day and you don't want to walk into that last account. But I'm here to tell you, you better walk into that fucking account. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, it's the truth. Yeah, and it makes it makes such a it makes such a huge difference because I mean, and, you know, and Chris, you you know it, you know this better than both Stephen and I at this point. But it's like, you know, watching just the endless train of sales reps walk into certain places, like on certain days and stuff, where you're just kind of like, oh my god, like how do you stand out? How do you make a difference in this industry that has major budgets and credit card swipes and, you know, marketing campaigns and sponsorships of like local sports teams and things like that. And when you're not any of that stuff, you're kind of like, well, how do I do those things? And, you know, Steven, to your point is like, yeah, you show up, you yeah. just, you get to, you, you're just there and all that. And I, and I think that does lead us into the next part of kind of what I want to talk, talk to you about. So, um, you know, both, Chris and I remain to be de degenerates and we will for the rest of our lives. But one of the things that, that you've done over the last couple of years and, and how you've navigated the waters of this industry is like, you've done it completely sober. And, right. you know, and, and obviously that's something that both Chris and I absolutely admire. And, um, you know, I've, I've never been at a point where it's like, come on, man, like just drink this. It's like, it's like, no, like you can be successful in this industry and do that. But, you know, for some people it's kind of like, well, how do you work in this industry and not drink. So like, what has that been like? Cause you know, again, you had this long history of being a bartender and there was some, there was some drinking and again, there is photographic evidence of it taking its toll on you. Um, you know, what's that been like to, to navigate these waters as, you know, being still a major part of this industry, but doing it without the need of, uh, alcohol so consumption. I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of a weird case in, in that regard. Like I would say I don't drink for sport. I don't really have, um, you know, I think the, the sober world is going to kind of be not know how to feel about this, but like, I, I don't have a, a problem with drinking. Um, and that alcohol wasn't really the reason I quit. My wife is an alcoholic and she really struggles. And so I quit to support her. Um, yeah. and so I, I do taste and spit cause I want to be able to have the knowledge of, you know, the flavor profile of the spirits that I'm talking about. And I want to be well-versed in those. I just don't drink for sport. Um, and you know, I, it's funny because there is a lot of like, when you first quit, um, there's a lot of like that peer pressure of like people like, dude, come on, let's just have one. It's not that big of a deal. You, you're not gonna be sober forever. Right. Like, you know, it's weird. Like people will like try to talk you back into drinking. I think and it's, it's harder for a lot of people, uh, to accept that you don't drink versus the, the fact that you accept that you don't drink. You know what I mean? Like it, it's weird. Yeah, I, it's way easier for me. Do you to do you feel like you get? Do you? What was I gonna say? Like, do you feel like you get more pressure from inside the industry or outside the industry? Because I know I have my impression of it, but I'm curious to see because like you are like doing it full time, you know, whereas like I just take occasional outside. breaks. Yeah, weirdly, it's outside the industry. Truthfully, you know, it's it's. Um, yeah, totally. You know, it, it's not because the people in the industry, you know, I feel like if you've been a bartender for a long time you've watched people come and go, you know, I've, I've, you know, because I was behind a bar for such a long time. I mean, I've had regulars that, you know, I've seen their mental decline, you know what I mean? Their health decline. Um, you know, I, this one guy, oh God bless him, Dennis, we invited him to our wedding. Um, 
and you know, he ended up having a stroke and he just, he just ended up getting really sick. And he, I mean, the guy would drink like, he would drink like 13 or 14 gin and tonics a night, you know, and then go home. And it was just crazy. And like, he, the, he had this weird thing where you would, he had his his bucket glass but he would keep the lime from the previous drink in that bucket glass and, you know by the time he left at night it was just a glass filled with limes you know what i mean and it was it was crazy you know yeah. and it was it's sad to watch you know and you see that um and i think if you've been a bartender for a long time you're not trying to talk anybody into into drinking you know like hey dude if you quit you quit for a reason i respect that and usually a lot of people that are in the bartending industry respect it um it's people outside the industry i think that have the hardest time um, accepting the fact that you don't drink. I, I think really, you know, friends, you, you kind of really find out who your real friends are too. Um, because that's a, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. Uh, when they find out that, you know, you're not the guy that, you know, passes out on a street in new Orleans. Uh, at, <laughs> Look, to your credit, you did not pass uh, out. So you rallied. Man. You, were, you, you went all night. You were good. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, and, and that we, we do want, we do want our listeners to know, like, you know, like Barry's a big dude. Like he's not, I mean, that's like, that's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like alcohol that needs to go into that man to take him down. So it's yeah. just kind of you like. Need, you need an abundance of elephant darts to get me to go down. That's for sure. yeah. Well, and I think, you know, and, and, and again, I think it's one of the things that I've always respected um, the most out of you. Cause I mean, I don't. I don't think that we've had a relationship where you have been drinking. So it's like, that's just kind of like, I always knew that was the case. And when I heard the reason I was, I was like, Oh, that's, that's cool. But I I'm glad that, you know, because you do deal with it more often than I do. Um, that it's kind of like, like I always feel the most pressure from outside the industry where it's kind of like you right. go to something and people don't know what to offer you after right. you right. tell them that you're not drinking. They're kind of like, you know, they're, they're like, like, well, I have some Capri Suns. It's like, it's like, right. I, didn't, it's like I didn't completely reduce down to a child. I mean, right. like, don't get me wrong. I still want a Capri Sun, but like, you don't have to go right to that as the solution, no. you know? I do um, go through an abnormally large amount of LaCroix and like different soda waters and like Waterloo's and all that type of stuff. I swear I'm the worst too at like opening one, taking like four sips and then leaving it where I can't remember which one's mine and my wife will do the same thing. And it's like, whatever, you know, we just have like 30 LaCroix like laying. That's what, so you, so you need to do the tab trick. So every, you know, cause you know, I, anytime you pop a can, I always take the tab and I go yep. and I go a complete 90 degree angle to the right. Like that's always mine. You know, it's got to go my 90 dad, degrees. Uh, my dad, so. my dad used to do that naturally with like with his sodas, with all of it. He always did it. And I asked him one day when I was probably like, you know, I, I couldn't have been more than like 15 or 16 years old. And I asked, him, I was like, why do you turn the tab like that? And he goes, well, one day when you swallow a whole can filled with chew spit, you'll know why I turned that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, all right. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely muscle memory for me now. Like, I can't yeah. open a can without twisting the tab because it's right, just right. you know that one's mine. That's just so you know, I don't know, I don't know if that might be a solution for you. Well, well, I think I think that's great. I mean, I and then now you know, so you're so you're working with these brands and you are trying to convey like you know different stories and and different taste profiles. Um, 
you know, what, what do you think works the best for you now? Because it's, you know, cause obviously your customers also know that you don't drink and things like that as right. well, or, or maybe not all of them, but like the, some of them do like, what, what's that conversation like where you're like, Hey, like I don't drink this, but like you guys should have it. Like, you know, what's that conversation like? Well, you know, it, that I will say that that rarely ever comes up. Um, you know, and I have, I have enough of a repertoire when it comes to like cocktails and stuff like that to be able to kind of like recommend what, you know, what, what spirit I think would work best in what cocktails and so on and so forth. Um, nobody really like, I've never encountered a situation where like, you know, I'll be honest with you. Like when I go into a, like a bar or something like that, I don't usually like, I don't usually tell people I don't drink. Like most of like, I would say really, only 30% of people out there that I, you know, accounts or whatnot actually know I don't drink. Um, and then also what's weird too. And I think Drew, you probably have seen this, but like, there's a lot of accounts out there of people who are buyers that don't drink. Um, you know, um, you know, I've noticed that like, especially in like the off premise, um, there's a lot of buyers that, which is going to be like liquor stores is, is what we refer to as the, as the off premise. Yep. Um, yeah, so like, they, it's weird. Like, I, I think it surprised me, um, you know, when I first started going out, cause like, I was really worried when I first started, when I, when I interviewed with the, the job with Hodling, you know, I said, Hey, you know, at the end of the interview, I said, Hey, I, you know, be honest with you guys, I, I quit drinking about you know, at the time I'll, I'll, I will have been sober five, no, six years, November 14th. Um, and at the time when I took the, the job with Hodling, uh, I had been sober for like a year and seven months or something like that. And uh, I told, uh, you know, the district manager, I said, uh, you know, Hey, I, I just want to let you know, I don't drink. And I'm like, is that going to be a, a problem? You know, I, I told him the story why I quit, whatever. And he goes, I could care less. And he's like, you know, you're, you're, can you still sell a, you know, can you still sell booze? Can you still talk about booze? You taste and spit. And I was like, yeah, he goes, then I have no issue with it, man. In the end, you're going to save us money, you know? So, I'm not <laughs> so it actually worked out great. You know? Like, like I said, it was a, it was a big leap of faith that they took and I think it worked out great. And, and you know, I feel like to not just like circle back, you know, 360 degrees, but I feel like I, I always wonder myself why more bartenders aren't hired into brand development positions. You know, I feel like a lot of them are kind of um, groomed in the distributor world and then move into the supplier world and they have a bit more of like that sales expertise. But um, I think the job just has so much freedom um, that some people can handle that freedom and some people can't. You know well, I mean? and, that's, and that's why. I mean, like you just kind of answered your own question right there. I mean, I think <laughs> right. that like, you know, and, and you see it now as a sales rep. And I think what a lot of people don't consider when they start running bar programs and stuff. I mean, think about, I mean, we were talking about this before we got on this call and this was an off, this was an offering, but like, think about how many meetings you get stood up for, how many oh, emails yeah. or text messages go unanswered. Right. And the thing is, is that a lot of people in those positions, those bartending positions don't realize how often people remember, you right. know, right. where it's like, oh yeah, I mean, I brought a supplier to you one day and you just completely no showed me. Or I tried to get this thing for you and you never answered. And I think, um, you know, and and obviously there's some of the appeal of of being a a bar manager like plays to that. But at the same time, I mean, I think, you know, when you transition into the sales role, it's like, 
right. And I've said it on this podcast before. It's like, it's like, if you tell me no, I'm going to celebrate you with praise because like now we don't have to talk about this anymore. That's my favorite thing in the world. Like, don't string me along. Just tell me no. (laughs) I'm totally fine with saying like, I just want to hear it. Like I, dude, if you just say no, Oh yeah. It makes my, it makes everything so much easier. You know what I mean? But if you say, I don't know, maybe let me get back to you. Like send me the pricing. Uh, I'll think about it. You know what I mean? Then I just, uh, yeah, I mean, just to really say, like, I know you're going to say no in the long run. Why don't you just say it now? Yeah, it's like, like, listen, that's my top, that's my top yeah. Google search. Like, she says yeah. no. It's like, oh, yeah. I love it. Like, yeah. I just live for it. You know, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's that's my thing. Um, Chris, do you have any questions for Barry before we before we move know forward? All the answers that he's going to give me. Okay, <laughs> I I do I do want to like throw throw one more thing in so. Um, you know, there's, there is an account in Sacramento that, uh, is called Bach and it's a, it's a, you know, fried chicken place. And, um, there was a hot chicken challenge that we did. I mean, I guess now at this point it was like two years ago. Right. And some of the names that, you know, our listeners have already heard like Dooley and, um, you know, myself and, and Jose and all these different people is like, I remember when I did the hot chicken challenge, I just remember like, as I was eating through them, I was like, the only person that I'm trying to beat right now is like, I want Barry to hear the number and be like, fuck that. I don't want to do it. You know, because that was like, so I want you to know that was a big part of my motivation as you know, I was. Funny? Cause Chris Dooley was my motivation. It's like, how many did Chris do? I don't yeah. care how bad it hurts. I don't care how bad it burns. I'm yeah. going to do that plus one. That's yeah, all that mattered so, to me. Uh, I, so yeah, so, I, I feel just, your pain. I feel your plight on that one. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, I don't think I've actually, I don't think my system has fully recovered from an incident oh, yeah. at Bach. I think I hallucinated so. that night. Like when I went to bed that night, like oh, I, totally. think I, legit, I saw, you know, just like a kaleidoscope on my ceiling uh, as I was trying to sleep. There's um, definitely a euphoric, euphoric reaction that happens with hot sauce. And yeah, um, I, there was like, there was like the event of doing the hot chicken challenge where like I did pretty well at, and then me and Nick Amano, who is another former guest on the good bottle podcast that we went and did some did some bites and i remember at one point i took this sauce that he thought was really hot and i just i don't know what i was thinking but i just dumped all over it i just ate it and he was like dumbfounded for the rest but but since since that like sit down with nick like i've never been able to eat hot sauce the same way like i got so destroyed that my body was like you will never get to experience this the same way again because you were so abusive to yourself right right and you ruined um, it yeah, but I would I would definitely encourage people to go and look at um, the box Instagram because all those videos still exist there, yeah, and you can see all of us just suffering through. Um, I remember, through that. I remember that when I got to the end, I was like, I, I was, they're like, how many did you eat? I was like, I, I think I had like twenty one. They're like, you had seven. And I was like, <laughs> Felt like twenty one. I could have swore I ate twenty one. Uh, and they're like, nope, you had seven. I was like, okay, all right. Yeah, it brutal. feels like feels like thirty in my stomach. So. Oh, in the worst possible way. Well, now I, I, I think it's time for our opinions on uh, and personal reputable sources. Okay, so the first, the first thing that I want to talk about is this article that was done by the drinks business, um, and it was basically listing the 10 most expensive bottles of tequila in the world. So what I want to do is I'm going to, I want to get through this first and then we're going to throw it to you guys. Right. So I just want to throw out some numbers here and uh, kind of let people marinate on this. So the first, the first one listed this is the most expensive tequila bottle 
is Tequila Le Diamante, which sold for $3.5 million. Um, this is a barrel-aged tequila uh, that was aged for seven years, and it was designed by Jose Davalos Mea, and uh, it's basically five pounds of pure platinum and 4,100 white diamonds in the bottle itself. So a little bit, a little bit there. Now, number two is another lay ultra premium, which is a $225,000 bottle. Um, that one is pure white gold with platinum and gold work kind of throughout. And these are really like obnoxious bottles. Now from there, it comes way down. So then you get into Casa Azul, the 15th anniversary, which is $30,000. Um, this is one that, uh, you know, the Casa Azul is kind of like the, the famous lamp bottle that exists that everybody loves. And then you get into El Patron, a $7,500 bottle, which is an extra Anejo that was Asian American French oak and sherry barrels. And then continues to go down. The one that really stood out to me was the Patron uh, Guillermo del Toro Añejo, which was selling up to $5,000, which makes me really regret not <laughs> buying it for $400 when I had a chance to a couple years ago because it is super badass. Like it's a, the presentation on it. And also, I like am. if you're a Guillermo del yep. Toro fan, like I find myself to be, I just was like, I was like, years ago, I was like, God dang it. Like I could have had that for $400 and I thought it was ridiculous. You know, not that I would have sold it because I'm that type of person. Um, then you get into the Osombrosa um bottles which you know are affectionately known as the butt plug tequila bottles in our industry um that one is about two thousand ninety five dollars uh when you guys look up the bottle we'll, you we'll, will po- we'll post the, exactly we'll post a picture of it in our uh, then, uh, on our instagram well well yeah we'll do some more we'll do some butt plug butt plug plugs. um pictures tequila for you uh yeah yep and then the Casa azul the extra nao three thousand dollars and then let's see here, um, the Barrique de Ponfinicio Profito. Uh, this is like, this is more of a tequila that has like an infamous reputation of being outlawed at some point. Um, I got to tell you, I've had the Profito. It is a rough pour, super sweet, but it has a glass cactus in it, which also, you know, again, as we all know, is not an actually a, an agave, but whatever. Uh, it has it in the bottle. It makes a really great olive oil bottle when you're done with it. Of course, you will be paying $2,000 for that olive oil bottle. And then, uh, yeah, and then the Jose Cuervo 250 anniversary, that's a $2,000 bottle. And then the number 10 is the De Leon, Leona Añejo, which is P. Diddy's uh, tequila, and that's $1,000. So, Barry, you did reach out to me earlier today and kind of be like, I don't know how much I can keep this in me. Like, I need to tell you how ridiculous these bottles are. Um, what's your thought process when you're reading about, Listen, you know, $1,000 tequilas? If, I want to tell myself that if it was like Mezcal or if we were talking about like single malts or something along those lines, my brain could accept it a little more. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I feel like with tequila, like... I just, I can't, you're just buying the bottle. You're buying a platinum, a bottle that's made of you know, platinum and $4,700 or 4,700 diamonds or whatever. Why, why do you feel, like, why do you feel that the way? Bottle. You're not buying actual juice. In a- yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Like why is Mezcal more valuable to you than tequila? Like, because, this? because I feel like if you're actually caring about the juice that's inside the bottle, the terroir that you get from, you know, the different types of agave that you're going to go out there and get make way more sense to me um, for an actual flavor profile and what you're going to get than, you know, I feel like it's, 
I'm not trying to put tequila down. There is great tequilas out there, but it's, I mean, it's really a lot of the same process all the way through with Blue Weber Agave, you know, you're doing your Añejo, your 12 months in barrel, and, you know, it's usually ex-bourbon. And, like, I really don't know how much you're going to actually vary from, like, the creation process versus, like, something along the lines of, like, single malt scotch or mezcal where it's so terroir-driven and it's so, like, unique to that agave and, you know, where it grew and, you know, if there's a rose bush growing next to that agave and, like, the, the, you know, if you're going to tell me you're going to hand, if you're going to tell me you're going to hand select Blue Weber Agave versus like Karwinski, you know, like what to me, it's like, I don't see how you find something that's unique out of one Blue Weber Agave versus a bunch of other Blue Weber Agave. You know what I mean? Like, it's basically like saying like, well, we picked the best Espadine, you know, out of all of these Espadines, you know, and I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me to spend that much money on anything other than like you're just buying the bottle and a name and the prestige of it. It's like the world of like the pappy drinkers. Like I'm probably going to piss off a whole bunch of people. I assume the people who listen to your podcast are smart enough to see past like the marketing of the pappy and Buffalo trace world. Um, but it's kind of like that same kind of thing in my mind of it's, it's just marketing um, and hype. It's not actual like quality of juice that you're selling. Um, do you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I yeah. feel like I went on a rant there, but I, I'd be curious because no, no, no. Drew, you obviously have a way you know deeper repertoire when it comes to like tequila and agave and mezcal and all sorts of spirits. But like, that's my opinion. I'd be curious to know like what you actually feel about this because this just seems absurd to me. Like, it just seems bonkers that somebody would pay that money. And is there a market for that? And why do it other than like the name and the prestige of like saying we did it? You well, know I, mean? I mean, yeah, I think, and I think you totally nailed it. I mean, I, I mean, I for sure have made my bed when it comes to celebrity tequilas and overpriced tequilas and heavily manipulated tequilas. And that's what a lot of the ones on this list are. Right. Um, I think the, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, like I want people to spend money on that. It's like, cool. You want to spend, you know, a couple hundred thousand on a fancy bottle, go for it, you know? Go go do your thing. You want to spend a couple couple thousand on a bottle that has just had a ton of sugar and glycerin dumped into it? Go yeah. for it because at the end of the day, that just leaves more opportunities for me to buy Tequilo Joe and Fortaleza. Well, not Fortaleza. Fortaleza is really hard to get right now, but you know, like uh, things things of that nature and, and stuff that that uh, that I enjoy more at a more reasonable price. Um, of course this entire list is absurd and exactly what you, what you talk about, um, in terms of like, you know, why are you buying this? Like, it's all, it's all ego driven. Like, I don't think that anybody who has like a really sophisticated, even tequila palette is necessarily trying to buy Casa Azul because it is a little bit sweeter, um, than, than some of the other stuff. But at the same time, you know, in terms of, is there a market for it? Absolutely. There is because so much of what we do and what we're trying to appeal to is ego and, uh, you know, whether it's bottle service or that bottle sitting at somebody's table as it's being served and the fact they get to slap the bell. I mean, you know, the, the thing that's always conflicting for me and, you know, for our listeners of the podcast, like they know that I've actually got to spend time with the owner of classes or right. 
and I like his mezcals because my buddy sources it for him and like they're unmanipulated. They're, they're really great, but like his tequilas, I can't do them, you know, like they're just, they're just way too sweet. And unfortunately that's what most people are going to gravitate towards. And, and I did a, you know, I did this tasting this past weekend where we were talking with people about their favorite agave and their favorite tequilas and, you know, the things that they're paying for. And it's just kind of like, you know, sometimes, yeah, you, you are just paying for the prestige because if you're trying to show off to your friends, you know, it's for a lot of people, it's just simply showing in the bottle and be like, look what I have. It's not about an opportunity to educate people. It's just more so kind of like, look what I have. You don't have it. You're lucky that I'm sharing this with you. And I think I've gotten to the point now where like, I just accept that. And I'm always, I mean, people are always going to send me celebrity tequilas and, and stuff like that. It'd be like, what do you think of this? I'm like, Hey, the answer is like, I hate it. And that's always going to be the answer. It doesn't matter who it is. Like, I think they all suck. Right. So you can save that text message. You can save that email. Like I just, I'm never going to be on board with it, you know, and even, even to the point where it's like, when we talked with Gina from El Tequileno and their Sassenbach, you know, it's like, Hey, that's probably the best way that you can go about aligning yourself with a celebrity and in, in doing that. Um, by like, you know, really still producing your thing and just using their scotch barrels that he picked out before. So like, you know, I guess there's a little bit more legitimacy there, but even so like, you know, I don't have a bottle of that in my collection and I won't unless it's given to me. So, um, you know, and that's going to be, that's going to be like a hundred bucks versus three, you know, three million. But, uh, I don't know, Chris, what do you think as you're looking through this list and seeing just how these prices are, are climbing, you know? Yeah, exactly what you what you responded to Barry there, which is like, yeah, there's a there's a definite market for this, and and specifically with tequila. I mean, obviously we're we're in California, and so the the bubble that we that we operate within that is um, able to consume mezcal, right? Like the fact that tequila has gotten to this point where bottles are being sold for three point five million dollars is. I, I guess first let's appreciate that we've gotten here, right? Because I, I remember 15 years ago, people, you know, were still super confused about, about tequila and didn't really understand aging and what made tequila different. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, the, and the whole push to get past Cuervo gold was so strong, even just 15 years ago. Um, so, hey, this is a little bit of a victory, and I, I, I'm willing to pat myself on the back and Barry on the back for, for doing the work of, of, of really dragging a lot of the industry kicking and screaming along to get here. That being said, also, I, I would argue that um, I think one of the things that I really enjoy about tequila versus mezcal um, is getting to experience sort of the hand of the maker and, and really driving home the concept of falling in love with distillers versus, you know, brands. Um, and, and it, it really shows its, it shows its hand. Uh, distillers really show their hand when it comes down to production. Um, specifically, like we were talking about with, with, uh, with tequila, because, yeah, it's all Weber Blue Agave, right? And yeah, there's a little bit of ter- there is terroir in terms of like Highland, Lowland, where they're sourcing from, which is a whole other question. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of people who just love this ultra sweet shit that like you know they're throwing agave nectar back into it, or they're throwing glycerin and, and uh, glycerol back into it to make it 
smooth and palatable and, you know, hide really shitty distillation and production practices. But then there's others that just make outrageously delicious juice that's that's fairly expensive. Not this expensive, right? But, you know, a hundred, couple hundred dollars, right. you know, is yeah. I think know, it's pricey scheme, for agave. Um, I, that being said, I've never had tequila. I think have have either of you like, had, had anything from, from this brand? No. no, and I was actually thinking of of looking looking that up right now. So, you know, so again, everyone go to your tequila matchmaker app, right? And see if you know, but I'll, I'm going to look this up and like and Stephen, you go go off of what you were about to say. If there, well, I just I think I think I'm a huge proponent of drink what you like, right? You want to drink rum by our Chardonnay? You want to drink Frank Family Chardonnay? Drink it. I don't give a shit. Like that. Enjoy if it brings you joy. Drink it. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like that. I, I want you to be happy with whatever you're drinking. The thing is, don't buy something just because it's expensive or it's got, you know, a big price tag on it or it's hyped and marketed or whatever to you. Um, I think that like, you know, to go back to like my pappy point of like, I could show you a $40, $35 bottle of Old Forester that would blow your mind versus, you know, a bottle of pappy. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't need to be expensive to be great. And I feel like, even when you're in the world of tequila, you were talking about Fortaleza. Fortaleza is fantastic. And the price point for that is fantastic. And I feel like there are so many tequilas in that range, in that realm, that are fantastic tequilas that, you know, you don't need to go spend $2,000 to go feel like you achieved something great or you're drinking something great. You know what I mean? It just seems so bonkers to me that anybody would do that you know let, let someone else tell them what to drink you know what i mean if you like it go drink it if you if you really truly like you know spending twenty seven hundred dollars on a bottle of tequila good for you if you got the money to burn that's a i who am i to tell you no but at the same time like the rest of us drink the rest of us normal people drink on a budget you know what i mean and we're not trying to spend you know, over 50 bucks a bottle. I think if you're spending over like a hundred dollars on pretty much anything that you're drinking, you're spending too much. I, that's well, my, you know, I, I, you know what I mean? So I, I don't think you need oh, to Oh, let's that. fight I'm, I'm right now. I'm in. Let's do I'm this. I'm sorry. I'm genuinely curious, think... you know, for the, the person who purchased this, you know, $3.5 million bottle and admittedly, even in this description uh, of this of this bottle, you know, forty one hundred white diamonds, five p- pounds of pure platinum, right? Like, I'm, I'm curious what it was that that drew them in into this bottle. That you know, obviously they have fuck you money. Well, we don't have fuck you so, money, so they operate in a different yeah. reality than we operate in. But I, I'm just curious what it was for them yeah. that like and- sold that. It's like a Rolex watch or something like that. It's it's definitely a situation where because um, I so I you know so I looked I looked up the distillery, um, and then and so the distillery is from 1479. So this is going to be in Los Altos, the southern part of Jalisco. Um, there's a couple of different marks like they don't score great on the panels for Tequila Matchmaker, and then kind of have a mixed bag in terms of like what people think of them. Uh, there's not a whole lot of recognizable names that come out of that distillery, which I personally think is actually a good thing. Um, but I mean, it's it obviously it just depends on what people are are looking for. Um, it this is an autoclave, 
tequila, which means that it's basically this high pressure cooker that is uh, making it. Um, Punta Gabe is from there, which is probably the most recognizable name to me. At least I don't know about for you guys, but Punta Gabe is from there. Um, in looking for other expressions, the tequila lay nine, you know, nine hundred twenty-five extra añejo is available for one hundred and thirty dollars online right now. You can just go buy it right now from Old Town Tequila or through the Good Bottle, you know, bottle shop. You have him order it for you. But, uh, but yeah, there's. I mean, obviously, this is a situation of all the value of this bottle is in the bottle itself right? It's in the platinum, it's in the diamonds. And so I think that's where like, in looking at this list, it really comes down to not necessarily these two outliers, right? Where they're, they're basically selling you on the bottle itself, which kind of looks like a sea creature. Like once you guys look it up, it's hilarious. But um, do you think but, if you put all these, like, you know, okay, you put a bunch of extra natos in paper bags, and you blind tasted them? Do you think you'd really be able to pick out you know, those two no lay tequilas, you know, compared to any other extra NAOs that's there. Absolutely I personally, not. I 100% agree with you. I do not think that there's any possibility of anyone truly, unless they just got lucky. You know what I mean? Because I yeah. just, you know, I, I don't know. It just blows my mind. No, no. And, right. I mean, and again, it's like, and, and I get that. I can't fathom this. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And I get that. I totally understand why people feel feel that way and like they're they're buying it for a brand but but again like i think it's more important to look at things like Clase azul which tends to be a little bit more approachable in that in that spectrum you know like i mean don't get me wrong um you know thirty thousand dollars for the 15th anniversary is is completely ridiculous but as we get further down and you get into like these you know sub stuff that's like less than five thousand dollars and things like that it's like you are you are legitimately i mean everything on this list I think without, with the exception of the Jose Cuervo 250 anniversary of which I, which I don't know for sure, but like everything on this list is a manipulated tequila. These are tequilas that are produced and then there is sugar or some form of additive that are put into them. And I think that's where, um, you know, to, to your point earlier, Barry, where it's like, you know, drink what you like, but know what you're drinking. And, and I think that's the role that people in our position need to take now because, it's a losing battle trying to get people to stop drinking celebrity tequila or these highly manipulated ones. And, and I even look at, I even look at a lot of again people that we've had on this podcast before and like people that I would like to have on this podcast, like where, you know, unfortunately most of the traction that they get on their accounts (laughs) is from hating things. And it's like, man, I just, I just, I don't, I don't think I want to do that anymore. You know, it's like, I get it. Like, yeah, like I, I mean, I hate, I hate constant amigos and I always will. And there's just no changing that. And I'm not going to come off of that hill. But do I need to spend each and every day dedicated to that? Or can I do things like, okay, let's talk about Tequila Ocho. Let's talk about Fortaleza. Let's talk about these brands that I do care about and that I want people to buy more of if they can find them and and build those things up. And I think that's where you know, in our positions, like, you know, this is a losing battle. Like, you know, again, we're not going to get someone to spend, you know, a few million dollars on some tequila Ocho, which is fine. I don't want them to, because I want them to actually drink it. For well, it tequila Ocho also ever gets content. that expensive. Yeah. So, I'm never being able to drink it again. And that would make me mad. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's that, but I think that is a, you know, I think that's a good stance. None of us. I mean, are if I had 30 million, million, that's a different question. 
Okay, so in our next story, what we're going to talk about is um, the Kimpton Hotel has decided to step up and let people know that they're they're aware of what's going on in the world of air travel right now. Um, flights are being delayed. Flights are being outright canceled. I mean, they know. They know how rough it is. So basically, what the Kimpton Hotel started to do is they are now offering the people who stay at their hotels a um, an emotional support beverage that is available to them at the check-in if your flight was ever delayed or canceled. So as soon as you check into that hotel, you get yourself a, um, a an emotional support drink. I just think that, you know, for myself looking at a story like this, like I love it. You know, I just think it's, it was a, it was an easy layup for their marketing team to be kind of like, you know, like, you know what we can do. We can take that $6 bottle of wine and offer them, offer someone a free glass when they have a delayed flight. Like let's just take that level Let's level it up for people a little bit. Um, Chris, what about you? What did you think of this story and in Kimpton's mindset of, of offering well, it's emotional It's nice to know that they probably beverages. talked to their bartenders for once. I mean, this is like this is like hospitality 101, really. I mean, bartenders, <laughs> like, you know, people come into your bar and they, they show up after a funeral or had a rough day or some shit. Like, bartenders going to pour you a drink. Surprise, surprise, it makes people feel better. I mean, this is just this is just hospitality one on one. The fact that they are like they're coming out and they're just making it uh, acceptable for their staff to do it, and I guarantee you that their staff had already been doing it beforehand. Um, you know. Yeah. What do you think the chances are that their staff just like hands out free glasses of wine to just basically anyone who wants one, oh, whether 100%. they have a flight delay yeah. or not? Yeah. There's no there's no system involved in. You know what I mean? Like I, I <laughs> as a bartender, I would have I would have been handing it out like candy. I'd be like, "You had a delayed flight. You had a delayed flight." <laughs> uh, okay. So let, let me ask you this, Barry. You you know obviously you're not immune to delayed flights or or cancellations and you know, and you also have a little one running around uh, the same that I do. It was the same that both of us do. Um, what's your comfort beverage? You show up to the Kimpton Hotel. You just had this hellacious trip to get there and you can't take the edge off with some alcohol. Like, what are you being like? You're like, give me seven LaCroix and we'll call it even. I mean, what's no, that? I mean, what does that look like? So, I mean, truthfully, like I'm always pumped when a bar has an N.A. beer. I don't care if it's a good one or a bad one. It's one of those things where like, that's, if you make me, <laughs> if you make me an NA cocktail, it's just fruit punch. Like, I, so it's, it's, it's non-alcohol, just so for our yeah. listeners, he's talking about a non-alcoholic fruit yeah, punch. Yeah, if you make me a not, a not say, say I like, you know, uh, NA, like I tell the bartender, dealer's choice, NA. So, um, which means that they're just going to make me whatever they feel like making that doesn't have booze in it. That's like a cocktail of some sort, right? Uh that's just, in my opinion, that's just I'm drinking a bunch of sugar uh, that I don't need to be drinking. You know what I mean? Like, so there's no nostalgia effect in it either. You know what I mean? Like you really can't. I know as much as like a lot of like the, the companies really try. I think Liars in their canned cocktails probably got it best. Um, like I love their Amalfi spritz. And right now I was actually drinking their, their gin and tonic just because I'm out of the Amalfi spritzes. Um, but like that's probably my if if somebody had that awesome um 
but truthfully, like the one that gives me the most like nostalgia is an NA beer. You know what I mean? Old Milwaukee makes an NA beer. <laughs> it's garbage, but it's delicious if you haven't. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's delicious if you you know if you just want to sit down and drink something cold and you've just gone through a whole bunch of crap. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's funny. I, I I I've never been an IPA guy. Um, you know, but when I did drink, I didn't really care for IPAs at all. Um, I just like drinking mud. It just never like appealed to me. Uh, but kind of weirdly, I've, I've really been enjoying the Lagunitas IPNA. Um, it, it's weird. I don't know why it's just because like, it's such a forbidden fruit to me, like a, like an actual <laughs> beer and it tastes the closest to like an actual, like, it's the only NA beer out there that's, uh, you know, replicates like an IPA. Have you, have IPA. you tried the, the um, new so Guinness Zero? One, no, I haven't. I, I I actually saw um like an ad for it somewhere. I think it was on like Instagram or something like that. And, it, and I was like, oh, that seems intriguing. But it I just got it just got brought to me. Uh, um, can I? We're going to be carrying it at at Bodega. It's very good. It's it's surprisingly good. Um, dope. I, I love it. I I because that's another one where like. A Guinness is a very nostalgic niche, like beverage, right? And it's not something like, you know, Guinness would ha would have to go make an NA version of that uh, to replicate it. You know what I mean? It's not like you can just have a bartender whip one up, you know? Um, so that's a cool one. That's a good one. Uh, I will say I have a huge, like, uh, disgust for that Lagunitas hop water. I think that is absolute piss. I just don't know how anyone drinks <laughs> that. Um, but, like, out of all of them, you know, I I love me, like, a good, like, Erdinger or something along those lines. It's great. Um, but, yeah, uh, that, I mean, that'd be what I would drink. And a beer of some sort, you know, just in the bottle. I mean, there's a nostalgia effect to it. It feels great. It feels comforting. It's like a warm blanket, you know, when you've just had a really terrible experience or, or day or whatever. Um, and usually, like, the end of my days, I'll actually kind of make it a point to stop into uh, to different places. I know the Snug has the old Milwaukee ones. and there's something weird and trashy about like, you know, at the end of the day when snug snug opens up at like uh, four o'clock. So I go in there at like, you know, four 30, grab one of those old Milwaukee NAs before I go pick up my kid at five. So, um, yeah. Chris, Chris, what would your like comfort drink be? Like you, you walk into the hotel bar that you're getting something for free. What, what's that drink need to be? Shit. Um, yeah, if they three million dollar tequila, I mean, just, just a cheeky, you know what I mean? Like, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's that's where I that's where I'd be like, just give me give me a shot of mezcal and like a dry cider. Yeah, I'd probably I'd probably want right like a like a um, cerveza and a shot of tequila, and and I'd be good. Like that, like yeah, just yeah. just give it, give me the upper, you know, give me that. Upper. I just I need I need a minute to decompress from the awfulness of traveling. And, Cause I, I love traveling. I just hate the, you know, the act of traveling. I love being other places. I hate getting there. Oh, totally. Yep. 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 That's fair. I think that's a totally normal feeling to have. Have you guys ever come across, uh, and it's weird that I'm asking you guys this, uh, but have you ever come across like, like a, an NA beer that's like a Tecate or a Modelo or that kind of style? Um, or like Corona or something along those lines. I've never come across an NA beer that's been like that kind of, um, like 
I mean, do, I, I feel, feel like that like, would just be water. I feel like, uh, I mean, does you know, soul, does soul, soul might be like yellow, especially out with my jam. Not that I've ever seen. Uh, I'd be interested in to try it. So, if anyone has recommendations, I'll uh, you know give you guys my Instagram or whatever. And DM me, send me because I'd be curious uh, to know. Athletic, what, uh, athletic. Any, any other sober peeps makes, out there? Uh, cerveza Atletica. And that. Oh, uh, oh, you know what? I think I had that. I had that at Turk Dog actually. Uh, uh, Nicomano actually. Uh, last time I was there. So maybe I did. Yeah, I did have it. So I answered my own question. Nick, Nick Amano showing up. There was one that I had at Rochambeau, which is a local um, wine bar here in Sacramento. I'm just looking at their menu right now and see if they still have it on here. Um, Martini Rossi makes an absolutely incredible NA like aperitivo, um, which reminds it reminds me a lot of like the Tempest Fugit Cantina. Um, it just kind of has that really like rich, viscous kind of mouthfeel, which, um, that was my favorite thing to like put in a wine glass when I was behind the bar was like Tempest Future Kikina and just pretend like I was sipping on like a white wine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 That stuff was incredible. I love that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, uh, Nick Amato also, he was, you know, he's like, Hey, have you ever tried this stuff? And this was probably like a month ago. Uh, it blew my mind. I had actually, the, the Sacramento co-op sells it. I, I bought a bottle of it and, uh, enjoy the living daylights out of it but it's got like that martini and rossi kind of like musty uh kind of flavor profile it's really unique and it's really cool how they're able to like kind of keep that trend in, in the uh, you know i i, re, I we've been stuff. selling for for a little while uh sovi wines uh and they're alcohol removed wines they're they're put through um like a mm-hmm. they're put through centrifuge yeah centrifuge? and they they evaporate off all the all the booze they add in a little bit of like scorbic and citric acid back into it just the way it it, like the ph stays right it's it's perfect i mean it tastes tastes it's wine it's legit yeah they They do and that's my favorite one um and we sell the shit out of it it's great and we have that we have that at bodega as well yeah it's fantastic it's really good i love that stuff yeah Yeah. and it's it's exactly what you said right which is which is, you know, if I'm not drinking and the bartender's making me something, it's like a fucking lemonade or a fruit punch, right? Like you're not, uh, there are now more options out there that are available to people. Um, uh, the, the Riverine, the NA gin from, uh, a mass is, is spectacular. And we've been using the hell out of it, but the, um, but but really just like what you said, right? Like it's, you're not getting that. I don't know that, that like fix, there's no ethanol. There's no yeah. burn. There's no so like, like being yeah. able to have something that's familiar, whether it's like any beer, any wine, you know, in that way, um, you know, it, it triggers a different part of our of our intellect and of our emotions as human beings. I think we have our comfort drinks, and we hope everyone, anytime you travel, get yourself an emotional support drink when you get to your hotel. Just ask for it. You're gonna get it, even if they don't do it. Doesn't have to be in Kempton. Just do it. You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay, now it's time for my favorite part of the show, where we give you dope people, dope shows, dope podcasts, dope books. The list goes on and on and on of people that we think that you should be checking out. So, Barry, kick us off. Who is your dope follow this week? All right. So I'm gonna give you guys. I'm gonna give you a, a couple. I'm gonna give you two. Um, okay. So I'm 
anyone that kind of follows my Instagram, I, I, I'm a man of many hobbies. Uh, um, I'm huge into vinyl records. I'm huge into photography. Um, and, uh, you know, the spirits world, um, I would love, uh, more people to, um, check out Dominique Gonzalez, uh, her, uh, what's it called? It's root elixirs, but it's, uh, she has a fantastic slogan. It's, uh, um, soda with spirit. Uh, and it's, it's amazing product. Uh, you can check out, uh, Dom's Instagram. Uh, I imagine you guys can throw the link up for everybody. Um, but she's incredible. Uh, so if you weren't listening to the first part of the podcast, she basically showed me the world of craft cocktails. Um, you know, and I, I owe a lot of me being in this kind of deeper portion and of the industry to her. Um, so, uh, I think it's Dom. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Uh, it is Dom.m.g. So let's say it's Dom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and she's fantastic. Um, so Dom- and she runs uh, a multitude of bars down in the San Luis Obispo area, um, Granada, um, Sunset Magazine. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful spaces. Um, yeah, she's got her hand in a lot of cookie jars, uh, but incredibly talented person. Yeah, um, she. And if you ever see Root Elixirs in any store, check that out. Uh, stuff's fantastic. I know you added a good bottle. You're still doing. Yeah, we, uh, yeah uh, we're we're currently so, all out, but we, uh, we typically carry them. Root elixir. What's the what's the soda called? It, they're they're, they're sodas elixir. that are designed so for uh, mixing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Root elixirs. Oh yeah. Okay, I've seen these. Uh, they're self distributed. Who, who distributes those? So I I don't know. Yeah, they're they're self distributed. Yeah. So uh, underground situation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other okay. one. Uh, I'm a, I'm just a huge ah, photography buff. Um, so there's two photographers that I would. Um, that I would recommend. Uh, so one is Billy D. Is that I E or with a Y? Find it out real quick. Yeah. So it's it's Billy D E E E, uh, and his photography is just unreal. Like if you guys, if anyone who just you know stumbled into this podcast who enjoys photography, his photography is incredible. So it's you know B I L L Y D E E E. Um, and his just incredible street photography. Um, and so I, I absolutely love his stuff. And then, uh, the other one would be my buddy, Dave Murano. Um, so his is, uh, is Dave Murano, M-A-R-A-N-O. Um, he is, uh, he shoots all sorts of stuff, but he's really thrives in like the surf photography world, but is a friend of mine from Southern California, um, moved to New Zealand, uh, and he's an incredible, incredible photographer. Um, so, uh, those would be my three, which, uh, uh what's, uh, Dave Morano's handle. So it's D A V E. And then it's, uh, Murano M A R A all one word. There we go. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. All one word. Yep. Uh, also, also a big family man like the three of us. Uh, you know, living that dad life. Uh, <laughs> two beautiful kids. Uh, and like he, he moved to New Zealand. Uh, his wife is like a travel nurse. Uh, and, um, they were desperate for nurses, and they moved in the midst of like the very beginning days of like early 2020, the pandemic. They moved to New Zealand, which was oh, 
crazy ordeal. Uh, and then, you know, I got to witness on his Instagram. Uh, I can't imagine doing that. But anyway, um, they're thriving there right now, uh, just living their best life. Um, but yeah, um, two great photographers and a great bartender. So those would be my follows. Uh, like so it. mine Chris, is, is your dope uh, this week? coming a little bit out of left field. It's it, it's based on um, uh, I fell down the rabbit hole of artificial intelligence recently, and I came across these really cool uh, apps. Uh, they're not apps; they're websites, but it's a it's an um, open open artificial intelligence programming. Um, it's really based on developing the concept of artificial intelligence and making it accessible to uh to humankind as a way to really just get people using it and being creative with artificial intelligence um but uh the instagram handle or account is populated solely of pictures created by artificial intelligence um, and by a specific artificial intelligence pro- program called doll E like instead of Wally it's doll E um, or like Dolly, right? Get it like the artist. Um, so it's uh, at open AI Dolly uh, spelled D a L L E. Uh, and literally every single picture on here is created by artificial intelligence written uh, you know, somebody types in like a, 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 you know, a an astronaut riding a horse on the moon in, you know, photorealism and artificial intelligence creates this photo out of, or this image out of, you know, I don't, thin air seems, you know, like a bad, like a bad thing to say, but you'd say like out of ones and zeros. Um, anyway, it's totally fascinating. I've had a lot of fun playing with Dolly myself. I, um, I got in on the beta testing very early on, uh, got on that waiting list, uh, and was invited and I've been losing my mind just playing with it. It's a lot of fun. I'll really silly. They've done amazing jobs with, with, um, putting limits on what people, people can do. Like you can't can't go hypersexual with it you can't go hyper violent with it they really try to constrain it to just like fun creativity and it's the way the human brain doesn't go into really shitty paradigms but uh it's really fascinating if you find yourself interested by this sort of stuff i it's it's a it's a fun little rabbit hole to dive down that's awesome yo okay i'm following i'm gonna try again that beta list um all right and then to to wrap it up there's a there's a new series on netflix um based off this based off the sandman comics and it i mean so you know i i definitely recommended some neil gaiman um books before on this podcast but the sandman is a comic book which you know for some of you know that i'm a big comic book guy as well and i've always wanted to dive into this into the book series i just you know I have a stack of comics that I'm trying to get through and just didn't do it. And uh, Netflix released it and started it's watching fantastic. it with my wife. And it is amazing. I mean, it's dark, it is twisted, but it is so good. And to the point where, of course I went out and bought um, the comics. And then now I'm listening to the audio 
book of the comics, which features such names as like James McAvoy and Martin Sheen and stuff like that, which is really, really, or um, no, Michael Sheen, not Martin Sheen. And uh, it's been just crazy. So if you guys like um, fantasy mashups and DC comics, this is something that you need to check out. It's so it's haunting. It's gross. It's amazing. And then actually I'm going to do two. I also picked up the game stray on PlayStation where you play a stray cat. And I got to tell you being a cat's like <laughs> everything I ever wanted it to be. But this game is so much weirder than I can even tell you. Like when you start playing it, you're like, this is, this is not at all what I expected, but the game details game group. Yeah, I mean, it's you're like fer- the, you're feral enough on your own. So, it yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was like it's but like it, you're right. I mean, the details on it are so extreme, like even the noise that the paws of the cat make when it when you're like running across something, because, you know, I have three cats, so I know exactly what these fuckers sound like when they're running across my hardwood floor at 1 a.m. Right. Um, they just nail it. So, so those are my two. Check out Sandman, whether it's the book, the audio book, or um, or the TV show on Netflix, and then check out Stray if you have PlayStation because Stray is just like it's it's a quick game. It's like you know you can probably knock it out in five to six hours, and it is so weird. It's so unique, and it's so beautiful. I can't say enough about it. So those are my dope follows, and I think overall those are some pretty dope follows. Solid Ah, Music for the Good Bottle Podcast is brought to you by the Moore Brothers, Leon and Chase Moore. Uh, Chase, who's dropping bars now, too. We'll we'll, we'll, uh, give you his Instagram here pretty soon. This guy is an insanely talented musician. Uh, But if you like today's episode, please uh, smash that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or our personal accounts. Mine is D Garrison Six. Chris is Kristen Flair. Barry, where can they find you on the Instagrams? Stephen Barry Junior. Uh, all one word. Um, yeah. So I've also got another one that is super cow. I shoot everything and just film. So it's Stephen Barry all film. Um, if anybody wants to somehow make their way over to that one, great. But uh, yeah, uh, Stephen Barry Junior. Love it. Yeah. Uh, if you would like for us to. DM What's me that? all your NA. <laughs> DM me all your NA spirits. I, I'm curious what other people drink. So if you're, if you're on Instagram and you follow me, DM me and tell me what NA. Uh, That's a fun idea, actually. Get, Let's, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, include us in that, too. I, I want to know. I want to know more of the uh, things. Uh, if you would like for us to cover a story or if yeah, you're working for agreed. a brand that would like to be featured or you want to just give us all of those N.A. suggestions, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you should always check out thegoodbottleshop.com to check to find all kinds of fun bottles. We weren't drinking too many bottles. I was drinking some Victoria tonight, which is a fun Mexican beer. I mean, obviously, Barry was just messing around with like fruit juice. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention. Um, but head over to thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, cheers, boys. Cheers, guys. I will say, though, I do care for liars. I think they do a great job of being liars.
and at least it's like good packaging when I'm drinking it, right? Well, it's it's funny because like the like 